Hi, this is Eric Alper, and you're listening to Make a Scene Canada on Pacific Northwest Radio. Happy Tuesday night, everyone. This is Sherelle Jardine, and this is Make a Scene Canada on Pacific Northwest Radio. I'm a proud Canadian sharing the songs and stories of our Canadian musicians. Make a Scene Canada is sponsored by Zed Productions. Zed Productions is a full-service production company offering the best studios and services to suit your project and budget, from producing to recording and mixing. Contact Sheldon Zaharko at sheldonzaharko.com. If you love the show and like to donate to Make a Scene Canada, please visit pacificnorthwestradio.com and click the Donate button. If you're interested in sponsoring the station or Make a Scene Canada or advertising with us, please get in touch. Our email is pacificnorthwestradio at gmail.com and in the subject line put Make a Scene Canada or Pacific Northwest Radio or maybe one of our other programs and you can find them all on pacificnorthwestradio.com. If you miss a show, you can find it on demand. Just go to pacificnorthwestradio.com and click the On Demand button. Right now, while you're listening to the show, find us on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Magazine Canada. We also have a group page, Magazine BC, where you can post your upcoming gigs. Give the station a like on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Pacific Northwest Radio. Change is constant. It's not a bad thing at an ever-accelerating pace. Consider public relations, for example. The way things were have changed, and there is a need to be at the forefront of technological advancements, social media activities, and consumption. When it comes to PR and names in the news regarding the music and entertainment industry, one name comes up as a true authority time after time. Eric Alper. Yes, that Eric Alper. He's a Canadian music correspondent, blogger, radio host, and former director of media relations at E1 Music Canada, based in Toronto. Eric now runs a public relations company, That Eric Alper, and is the host of That Eric Alper Show on Sirius XM. Tonight, we find out how his love of music got him to where he is today. Plus, he's got some excellent advice for all you artists out there. And tonight, he's bringing the magic sauce to the show. Yeah, what's going on? Oh, not too much. Thanks a lot for taking my call so early in the morning. <laughs> oh, well, no, it's not It's not early for me. It's early for you. So thank you for calling up early. It's only noon here. So. Oh, man. I want to start off by saying thank you so much for sending me so many wonderful artists to be on the show from Colin James to Sass Jordan, Andy Kim, Jesse Cook, just to name a few of the iconic Canadian artists that you work with. So many thanks. I don't know any of them. <laughs> I have never heard of none of those people. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It must have been a dream that I had. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it must be another Eric. Another Eric. No, no, no. I'm not happy that. to send you those. No, yeah, yeah. Probably the Eric Alper, not that Eric Alper. Um, <laughs> no, I, I'm so happy that you're around. I mean, this, you know, the way that the media is going and publishing it's so great to know that you're still here and people like you who are passionate about music still can find a home to celebrate all the great artists that this country have because uh you know there's not a lot of them left mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's kind of scary as we watch it kind of evolve in front of us right yeah you know look at the end of the day you know nothing's really changed in terms of philosophy they still need readers everybody still needs listeners it's just that there's just less and less to be had because there's far more choices and advertising is, is, you know, the amount of money that people can make now is smaller and smaller. So it's just a shame because I still believe in the long form journalism. I still believe in the media to let people know what's out there. Mm -hmm. I still believe in blogs and podcasts. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to talk about all that stuff a little bit later, but you've done so much in your career. I didn't actually know where to start with this interview because I was just like, oh my God, this man's done so many great things. So I wanted to start at the beginning because music's been in your blood since you were a very young boy. Can you talk a little bit about how your grandfather inspired you? Yeah, so there's a bar um, in Toronto called Grossman's Tavern, and it started... Um, it started in 1943, and it started off as a cafeteria. And in Toronto, um, 
it's probably like most major cities is that the community is based around food and religion. Um, for my grandparents, it happened to be based around food. Um, so they opened up a cafeteria. Then um, they slowly became the first um, bar in Toronto to have a liquor license and then have music. And the city of Toronto thought that the uh, that the bar would help the entire city and the country go to hell in a handbasket, mm-hmm. mixing alcohol and music together. But that's that's the that's the lifeblood of my family. Um, none of us can play a single instrument, but I remember as a kid hanging out in the bar and dancing to you know the band that were playing there and artists like Rush and Alana Miles and Jeff Healy, uh, the Downchild Blues Band, and and literally thousands more used to come by the the venue. So it wasn't just the music part of it. It was, it was my grandfather having the ability to house draft dodgers that were coming up from America um, to escape the Vietnam draft. Um, that ideology and that philosophy still sticks with me of, of trying to be a good person and doing what you can and helping out people wherever you can. Um, and that's, that's really the, the, the lifeblood of, of who I am is just trying to do good using music as a community and as a force for good. That's amazing. I mean, we need more people like you in the industry. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Seriously. Now, <laughs> I have to ask, this is a very serious question. Are you really a Coke and chips for breakfast kind of guy? Yes, I am. I'm eating <laughs> a bag of chips and, and having my third, my third Coke. I've, I've kind of got off of Coca-Cola a little bit. Um, I, I now drink about nine cups of tea. It seems like I always need a drink within three feet in front of me. And since I never drink alcohol, um, Coke and, and uh, Coke and tea is it. But yeah, I've got the worst diet. I eat like a, like a nine-year-old. Wow. Like spaghetti, chicken, hamburgers, French fries, Coke. Like that's my, that's, that's my meal. Okay, you come to the yeah. West Coast and I'm going to take you out for a nice vegan yeah, dinner. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing, <laughs> amazing. There, there's a restaurant here in Toronto that has something like 140 different ways to have a hamburger. And <sighs> um, when I walk in there, I just ask for the one with mustard and they boo you because it's called the boring. And they actually boo, you know, people like me because, you know, I don't yeah. want peanut butter and jelly on my hamburger. I just want a hamburger with mustard. Oh my god! Okay. You know, is it is it so is it so much to ask? It's Cheryl? not. Is it's it easier. So it's easier if I could just like you know slather some mustard on your bun and like throw a, a burger at you. That would be so easy. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. I hear you. <laughs> I read in your bio. And I also feel it every time that we are in communication by email that you absolutely love what you do. I do. Somebody once told me that uh, somebody asked once asked me if I take really fast showers in the morning so I can get to work um, as soon as possible. And I do. I still feel like that. Um, I was. I'm. I'm absolutely one of the lucky ones that I got to to do what I love to do and be around people that I love to talk to um, all day and all night long. Um, because I can't play an instrument, this whole this whole industry is a mystery still to me. I'm still fascinated by why things happen the way that they do because i know a lot of it is hard work i know a lot of it is great songwriting and great performing and great playing and but a lot of it is just luck Mm -hmm. and chance and timing and that's those those three aspects are i think what we all want and we all love to to work with during the day i mean that's why artists still want to sign to big major record deals and that's why artists want to stay independent they know that you know they can only work so hard and get so great but the rest of it is just up to the universe to dictate how they should do um how their lives are going to be and i think that's still the fascinating part about all of this is that we're never quite sure how things are going to work out in the end so every day is is a is a new it's a, it's just a new adventure Yeah, it's like a puzzle, right? You pick up the piece and you're like, oh, it doesn't quite fit in this little hole. I'm going to maybe take my hammer and lay it down, you know? Oh, yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's rules of life. There's things where if you do this, this will happen. If you, you know, fix a computer this way, it will work. Um, When you're talking about anything in entertainment, whether it's film um, television, books, music, or things in sports. You, so much of it is just luck and timing. I can't tell you the 
the amount of conversation I've had with artists that will still to this day say that one of the songs that absolutely bombed was one of their favorites or the song that was a throwaway, the last song that was being written for an album that took them six and a half minutes to write was their biggest hit. It's just it's it's just that whole nobody knows anything and nobody knows what's happening. That's the excitement of it. <laughs> it's just like yeah. what? Yeah. 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 And the frustration. Oh, yeah. Frustration also. So Oh yeah. You know, whenever I post on Twitter like really ridiculous fun facts like, you know, the Bee Gees staying alive was written in six minutes or Casey and the Sunshine Bands Get Down and I was written in ten minutes. I mean, people are always like, Well, you know, like, I could do that. It's like, no, you can't. Yeah. Because it's not the 10 minutes that it took the Bee Gees to write that song. It's the 35 years of playing and practicing that got them to the moment in order to write a song like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's the whole love that I have of, of artists is that it's not just them being in the studio, but it's the years and years and years of practice and getting it wrong and then getting it right a couple of times. And you only need to get it right a handful of times in order to be called legendary. That's right. Exactly. It's those 10,000 hours that every artist needs to get behind them and more you know, to get to that yeah. point. So. Yeah, and having everything else go right. Yeah. Having the publicist have great timing, having a great manager at the time that concentrates on you, having a record label that deems you as a priority, having a booking agent that gets you in front of the right audience at the right time with the right venue at the right moment. It's the catering company to make sure that nobody gets sick. It's your doctor that prescribes the right medicine when you're when you're down and out like there's so many things that need to go right in order to create a hit that are behind the scenes other than coming up with a real good catchy chorus Mm -hmm. exactly so with all this information that you have i want to go way back your career started because you wanted to work for the smithsonian folkways label so how did that kind of come about how did you get that job and and uh yeah where did that take you yeah, my grandfather had a great record collection, and when uh, uh, and he had a couple of the Folkways albums from Woody Guthrie and Bob Dylan, and 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 that kind of led me to um, to kind of you know loving the folk world um, along with the early rock and roll like Chuck Berry and Buddy Holly and Richie Valens. And when I found out what and who the Smithsonian Folkways label was, I just loved it. I loved their philosophy. I read a couple of autobiographies on Moses Ash, who was the founder of it. And he signed and he worked with everybody in the folk world from um, from Lead Belly onwards. And when I graduated university, I started my own record label and booking agency and then PR company. And then we just ditched everything except for the PR side. And I got a job offer working for a small label at the time called Shoreline. And Shoreline Records had three artists. They had um, the Nylons, which was an acapella band, uh, Patricia Conroy, who was big in the country world, and a brand new band that had an EP called Nickelback. Oh, God. And um, so I worked that label. I worked with that label for about a year, a year and a half or so. And then the company that we were doing distribution with um, dropped the label, but we went to a company called Koch. And Koch at the time was the the biggest Canadian and American distribution company um, on the continent. And one of the labels that they did distribution for was Smithsonian Folkways. So I jumped at the chance to work with that because they were looking for a publicist to handle all their U.S. and U.K. labels because those labels didn't care about, they didn't know the first thing about Canada. They didn't really care to. We were 3% of the world market to them. So they were like, here's your box of 90 CDs. Here's the bio. Here's the photos. Call me if you have any problems. And it wasn't that they just didn't really care about it. It's just that we were just so small compared to like the rest of the world. So I jumped at the chance in order to work with, with uh, Smithsonian Folkways and then ended up working with managers and booking agents and promoters and everybody while I was at Koch because distributors in the music industry back then were essentially moving boxes of CDs from the warehouse to the record stores. And then it would be my job to help move them out using publicity, um, using media relations, working with the media and coming up with strategies. Um, but, you know, at the time, Koch had like really amazing record label that they were doing distribution for along with Smithsonian Folkway. They were... Um, working with Cooking Vinyl. They had Putamayo, which was like world music for people who didn't like world music. Um, 
We were working with Metal Blade Records and Hopeless and 4AD and Beggar Banquet, all the really cool labels that they did distribution for. So I really got my musical education in the music industry because we changed our distribution to Koch. And then, uh, then I got a job offer working for Koch. And the president said, you know, would you like to work 450 bands instead of working for the three? And I was like, oh absolutely. God. Where do I sign up? Wow. So. Yeah, so then I just started working for there, and I was there for 18 and a half years before going off on my own. Holy, so I have to ask you also, do you know Gino Pazani? Yeah, oh my God. He worked for, he's a good friend of mine. In Vancouver. Yes. Yeah. He's my buddy. Is he not in real estate now? He is. He's doing really good. It's crazy. But Amazing. I still let's miss the long up, hair. Let's give a plug to Gino. If you need a house, if go you need call a house. Gino for <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So Gino was there when, when I when I got there because the company was there. Oh, Koch was there for maybe about eight or nine years before I started. And then we got bought out by Entertainment One about six years ago, um, back in around 2000 and, uh, 2012 or so, 2013, somewhere around that time. Yeah, Gino was great. Yeah, yeah, Gino was one of the sales staffers on the West Coast. Yeah, he actually, I think um, he got distribution from one of my first albums, so that was pretty exciting for me back then. And Oh, yeah, that's amazing. We've stayed friends ever since, so I will say hi for you. Yeah, please do, please do. <laughs> For the past 20 plus years, you've been the forefront of the Canadian entertainment industry in public relations. And you must have seen so many changes in promotion and publicity, especially when social media first started. Did you ever think, Eric, in a million years that social media would take off like it has? No, no, we had nothing to relate it to. Because for for 60 years, from like, you know, 1910 to... You know, 1980 or so, 1990, 2000, everything was physical. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter what format you were talking about, whether it was musical notes on a sheet of paper that they would sell as sheet music for people to bring home and play, or vinyl 45s or 78s, then 45s, then long player records, then cassettes and 8-track tapes and CDs. Nothing could prepare the industry for not having a physical format. Even though that, you know, in the early 2000s, when the MP3 started to really develop as a as a format, the hard drive was the actual physical format, but people couldn't wrap their head around that. They just thought that it was just in thin air. But coupled with social media, it changed everything because now the gatekeepers that were traditionally... Um, blocking or allowing certain artists or certain record labels to get popular now we were all curators everybody was an influencer everybody had a voice that they can share with the world no matter how big or how small your audience was and nobody could predict how it went it used to be really easy when i was growing up in order to be a success in the music industry if you were an artist you made a cassette you played from coast to coast in this country you got really popular if you were great and you put on a great live show you got signed you made a video, you got it played on Much Music, you were a success overnight, and radio would bring you into the top 10. That's it. And then you would coast for as long as you could. When I started on social media, you know, probably I was a little late to the game with MySpace, but then once I got on Twitter about 13 years ago, it was it was a matter of 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 realizing that the person that had no influence can suddenly overnight have a following and an audience of people that they were listening to more than blogs and more than zines had at the time. Um, and I think it, I think we're still figuring it out. I don't think we figured out exactly where the music industry is going. I know that it's all on Spotify and Pandora and music streaming services. We're going to have this for the next 20 years, at least that's not a, you know, that's without question. But I think how to reach people rather than through those traditional systems is what we're all learning how to do. Um, you know, we used to be able to buy an ad in Exclaim magazine and reach 150,000 people in this country that were cool and hip and loved indie music. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, there's 450 blogs in Canada that all have a 
all have a decent size of an audience. So we're all scattered. We're all not watching the same television show. We're not all reading the same newspaper. We're, you know, we're, we're finding our community and our tribe and sticking with it. Um, and I think for the music industry, it's part of the, it's part of what we do every day to try to reach you know, like-minded music fans more and more, not to manipulate them by any means, but just let them know that if you like this, you'll probably like this, which is the same thing as what advertising and traditional, you know, marketing used to be. Now it's just a little bit different because it's in the air rather than holding it in your hands like you used to. Mm -hmm. Is uh, Twitter your favorite platform that you like to use to promote an artist? Yeah, mostly on Twitter. I, I seem to have, um, I seem to find my audience on there that kind of likes what I like. And when I got on Twitter, I mean, people forget, like you all start on these social media outlets with the exact same amount of followers, which is zero. Um, and I just started posting all the things that I would find online to share or, or old photos or old videos. And it just seemed to to click and connect with people. Um, so yeah, mostly I'm on Twitter. Um, I post all day long and all night long. I set them all up pretty much ahead of time and just let it go. And then, uh, Instagram is great. You know, I, I don't really understand TikTok, but that's okay. Cause mm -hmm. I'm hitting 50 and a lot of my <laughs> artists are that too. So, you know, I get it. I think I get it. I think I understand it, but I just happen to have a lot of artists that that's not necessarily always on that platform. They're still working in the traditional field of um, Facebook, um, Twitter, Instagram, you know, mm -hmm. even MySpace. MySpace still has something like 16 million visits every Does single it? month. Oh, yeah. Man, I didn't it's, even know. Oh, it's still pretty huge. It's still, you know, it's not something that I think that I see every day on a marketing plan. Um, but I think people will be pleasantly surprised at uh, how many people still use that place as a community. Wow. I'm going to, I still have my pages up there. I'm going to go and oh, check it out. I, I checked and I couldn't, I couldn't even. I, I couldn't even try to figure out how to even change my top nine friends. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll let it go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, it's really exciting because you are set to do some work with my daughter, AJ Jardine, which is very cool. Mm -hmm. And I can't wait for that to happen. Yeah, I'm so honored to be working with her. It's going to be great. Oh, she's fantastic. But I just learned that you have a daughter that's a teen social activist, Hannah Alper, and she has her first book called Momentous Small Acts, Big Change. Yep. You must be so proud of her. Yeah, it's great. You know, Hannah started her blog when she was nine years old. And one of the, we went to a, um, a digital media summit in Philadelphia um, because a lot of my friends were speaking and we brought Hannah with us, uh, with my wife and I. And uh, she went to a WordPress seminar on how to develop and start your WordPress blog. And she started one. And, you know, she wanted to start a blog, but we told her that she couldn't write a blog about Justin Bieber or anything in entertainment <laughs> because that was my field. That's right. But you have to find your passion. And she's always loved animals. Um, she realized that the environment is affected by the animals and that we affect the environment to affect the animals. Mm -hmm. And so she started writing about the small things that she was doing around the house and in the neighborhood to make the environment better. She was doing shoreline cleanups. She would be making eco-friendly cleaning supplies. And she started writing it on the blog. And um, you know, she's 17 now, but eight years ago, it was, uh, it was a rare thing in this country to have a nine-year-old um, want to create change like this and through, through social media, through, through the internet. Um, and she became um, pretty popular very quickly um, with that. And then uh, uh, two years ago, she wrote her first book called Momentous, Small Acts, Big Change. And it's how anybody can find their spark, how... Um, you know, how to find the issue, so how to find the one thing or a couple of things that, that you really, really care about um, and how you can change the world, no matter, you know, how young you are, how old you are, how much money you have. It's all about just finding the things that you're passionate about in life and how you can do good from it. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm definitely going to find that book. 
Yeah, it's great. Sounds it, it's it's it, it's a lot of fun, you know. Like you, you're you know, you're you're proud of your kid anyway, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're able to do some, when they're able to do something that you fully understand, but when it happens to be kind of in your world, um, I can't help but you know have a a little bit of a bigger smile on my face, going, "Wow, we didn't screw that up. That's yeah. amazing." I know, you right? Know? It's your baby. Yeah. Aww. Yeah, I can't wait to start working with your daughter too. She's pretty amazing too. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so six-time nominee for Publicist of the Year during Canadian Music Week, a 16-time Juno Award winner overseeing PR campaigns and had worked with some of the most important artists of our time. And I wish I had enough time to shout out to all these artists, but I'm just going to name a few of the people that you've worked with. Ringo Starr, Ray Charles, Bob Geldof, Pete Seeger, Jerry Garcia, Monty Python, Randy Bachman, Nickelback, Sinead O'Connor, Steve Miller, Smashing Pumpkins, Bruce Coburn, Porcupine Tree. I mean, the list goes on on and on and on. It's just incredible how many people you've worked with, Eric. It just blows my mind. Can you share a story with our listeners of maybe a favorite moment of working with an artist? And I know it's probably really hard to pick one out, <laughs> but you know, maybe maybe not your favorite, but something very memorable that sticks out for you. Yeah, you know, I, I, I really truly am honored and lucky to be working with the people that I grew up listening to. Um, I, I, I remember as a kid, listening to the Archie Sugar Sugar over and over and over again and watching watching the Archie's television show as a kid. Um, about 13 years ago, 12 years ago, I got a call from uh, from a radio host named Bill Carroll who used to be on CFRB here in Toronto. And he said, uh, I'm friends with this guy, Andy Kim, and you might know about him. He wrote the Archie Sugar Sugar. He wrote Rock Me Gently. Um, he's looking for a record label. He's looking for some help. Will you help him? And the first thought in my mind is, um, what on earth can I do with an Andy Kim? Because I was at a record label, I was at Koch at the time. And, um, you know, at the time, veteran artists who weren't continually going on tour or having albums released, um, were having a little bit of a hard time. There just seems to be, you know, this method of like radio was changing. It was uh, it was going a little bit more younger. Um, the music of your life radio stations, easy rock radio stations used to be playing um, Johnny Mathis and Frank Sinatra are now, or at the time, they were playing a, you know Michael Buble and Celine Dion. So it seemed like the boomers were kind of getting shoved a little bit away from the the demographic that these radio stations were were playing. So that led to my philosophy of, what on earth do I want to do anything with Andy Kim? Because it was different when you're working with like a Bob Geldof or Sinead O'Connor who had hits 10 or 15 years ago. They're still legendary around the world. With Andy, it was different because people knew his songs, but they didn't necessarily know him. Mm-hmm. So um, I said to Bill, yeah, you know what? I'll have, I'll give him a half hour's worth of my time, set up a call. He set up a call. Andy and I spoke on that first day for 11 and a half hours. Oh my God. Um, it was like I had fallen in love with my lifelong friend that I had no idea that I needed. We got on the phone at nine o'clock. I left the office at around 1130 at night and we talked about everything. And I just felt like this is exactly the kind of guy that I want in my life, not only as a friend, um, if he would be so so blessed to have me as a friend. It was like, hey, can we be friends? No. Um, <laughs> can you but, imagine? <laughs> but yeah, but I knew exactly what to do with him because it just clicked when I was talking to him that that he was a guy that just needed to get his music heard. And I knew the right people that can kind of help influence that um, and get his name out there and kind of work with him. Um but the album that he had called Happen Again was brilliant. And that was like 99% of the thing right there. Um, I've worked with him since that day, all those years ago. And we still talk on the phone for about an hour every day, talking everything about politics and life and philosophy and the music industry and every band imaginable. Um, and I, and I, I love him to death and I'm I'm so happy that I got to say yes to that and it's one of those moments where if I only thought about business all the time I would think there's no need to have Andy Kim out there in the world I need to find 
you know, a great 19-year-old song, you know, pop artist or whatever the world was looking for. Because I had said yes and took a chance on this, um, I happened to just have one of one of the greatest people that I've ever had in my life. And, and I'm so honored and thrilled to have him there. Oh. Um, so, yeah, you know, everything else is just pure gossip with, yeah. with artists. Like, you know, um, I just talked to Bob Geldof yesterday. Um, for the first time in a couple of years, the Boomtown Rats are are reforming and they've got a brand new album and a documentary. And I remember taking him around town um, in my car and it was um, it was around 2001. So, look, you know, I was a 15 year old kid when I watched Live Aid. When I woke up in the morning, I bought like five copies of Do They Know It's Christmas by Band-Aid. So Bob Geldof to me was just a personal hero. And all I can think about is don't get in a car accident with Bob Geldof. Oh because if you do, you will be worldwide news for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> no oh, you know? And that's all I was thinking about was like, oh my God, Bob Geldof is in my car, Bob Geldof. And you know, there's times when you know, I have to be starstruck because it just blows my mind, you know, having conversation with Ringo Starr, all I'm thinking about is you're a Beatle. Oh you are God. one of two Beatles left left in the world. Like, no matter no matter what, you are a Beatle. And so those kind of moments I'm still, I still live for. Yeah. I still live and love the fact that I get to work with Sass Jordan and Biff Naked mm-hmm. and Miles Goodwin and um, Gino Vanelli and all these artists that I, I grew up listening to. I'm just, it's, it's amazing that, I get to hang out with a Bruce Coburn or Buffy St. Marie or Janice Donlin and people that that really had a big influence in my life. Well, when I interviewed Sass Jordan, we talked about you on the interview and we, I mean, she just had nothing but good things to say. She loves you. So Uh, yeah, she's great. Yeah, she's great too. You know, like there's people that I could embarrass myself and say, I can't tell you how many times or how many times I got to watch your video on Much Music, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and just the fact that they're still here and still alive and still creating, um, you know, vital music um, is, you know, is still amazing. Yeah, no kidding. It's it's in their blood. So yeah, yeah absolutely. You go down, you, you, can't, you can't stop. <laughs> yeah, now, no, absolutely. If a new artist contacts you to work with you, what are the requirements that an artist needs and what would a first-time campaign look like? Almost 75% of the music that's being consumed right now around the world is being consumed on YouTube. And as much as artists don't want to hear that, they, they're a little bit skeptical about becoming video audio musicians. Um, but it always was like that. You know, um, I always hear whenever I do seminars and panels um, at music industry conferences, um, just how much work they have to do in order to keep um, a music career alive. And they do. I think that they have to do a little bit more than what we were all used to. And certainly the money is nowhere near the the ability to sustain a career as an independent artist um, as much as you used to. Um, but there's still things that, that haven't changed in 30 years that I think the artists have to wrap their head around is um, because all of this music is being watched and listened to on our phones and thus with YouTube, they need to create a really amazing video. They have to have really great songs. They have to be able to connect with their audience or at least find other ways or other methods to find their audience. There's never been a better time in the world to be a musician. It's certainly been easier and it's been harder um, but the ability that for a couple of bucks on social media, you can find like-minded um, audiences um, is really is really amazing right now. If you're a country artist that is between the ages of 45 and 75, well, you know that you can find like-minded people who would probably like your music for a couple of bucks on Facebook. We never had that opportunity before. We would have to go and buy an ad on CMT at really expensive prices and hope that somebody is listening. So I think for artists, they have to want it really, really badly because it's tough out there. Your competition as an artist is not another artist from your city. Your competition are now the Beatles and Bruce Springsteen and Madonna and every other artist that has their music available up on Spotify because we're all after the same competition for the eyes and ears of the audience out there. So it's been harder 
um, because your competition is like 55 million other songs. It's a little bit easier because maybe you don't need to sell a million copies anymore to have a career. Maybe you can just find 10,000 people that are willing to support you throughout your music and have it there. But I think the assets are still the same. You still need to have a great song. You need to have a great video and you start, you know, to start building your team of finding the manager, finding the booking agent, finding the publicist. But it all begins and ends with the song. You can have the most amazing team in the world, but if the song sucks, you're not going to get very far. Mm-hmm. It's true. Like when you look at um, that's what the what was that song? That's what the fox says. And it was this crazy video and a really silly song, right? And it had all this attention. It was crazy. I remember we were playing yeah. playing a gig, and behind me, before when we were setting up, the video was on there, and and everybody in my band turned around and they were watching this video instead of setting up because we were like, "What the hell is this?" It doesn't last yeah. long, but it did go viral, and it got them. I mean, they were on David Letterman and all these big shows, so. Um, yeah. The whole thing about having a bizarre video, is that something that you would suggest to bands, like have something that people go, what the hell is that? And, you know, hopefully you do have a song that's really good that, you know, can cement your career. Yeah. Yeah. Because the audience isn't looking for good anymore. Mm-hmm. That's that's the issue. We're We're only looking for great. And we're looking for those same basic human emotions that advertisers know and use every day. You have to make us laugh. You have to make us cry. You have to make us angry. Or you have to have the hairs on the back of our neck stand up because it's so great and different. Um, those those basic human emotions are are exactly what makes a music fan a music fan. And it's the same thing that you and I look for every single time. We know that no matter what Sass Jordan puts out, it's going to be great. And you know that as an editor, her fans are going to come to the blog to read about this stuff. But if she doesn't create great music, well, like everybody else, her career goes down. Um, and the indie artists that are first starting out have to realize that as well. Is like because of that level of competition, they need to be doing something different. And they they just know that, you know, look, I'm always willing to give artists a chance to be heard no matter what stage of their career that they're at. Maybe I don't hit the button on reaching out to the Toronto Star or the Georgia Strait right away. Maybe it's just a little bit more talking to them and walking them through how to get to the next level more than actual pitching and just kicking around ideas and giving them advice or or sharing philosophies or ideas and walking them through that stuff. Um, Because every artist is different. They all have different needs. Um, But at the end of the day, though you know they've got to find a way to connect whether through the song or through social media um they have to be on there as much as they possibly can because you know that's the competition you know taylor swift is still posting every single day because they know that if she's not posting you know she's not being thought of and the fans go nuts Mm -hmm. exactly and then they forget and then they forget and this this whole world and this whole industry is so fleeting, um, you know, you can't take anything for granted. Exactly. And it's a lot of times it's about perception also. You can post, you know, all these things that you're doing and, and your fans are going, wow, they're doing all this stuff where maybe it's not really as big as it seems. You know what I mean? But, you know, yeah. you, you have to be out there. You have to be talking on social media all the time and just... Yeah. Posting on social media is rarely having to do with posting about your latest song or video or mm-hmm. or album. It's really all about who are you as a person because anybody can like a post in order to follow you and watch you play and watch your video and spend their hard-earned dollars coming to see you live or buying your album. That's the connection. So when Taylor Swift posts about, you know, this is what I'm watching, this is what I'm reading, here's a photo of my squad, here's me sleeping on a plane, here's a picture of my cat, it's really all about revealing who Taylor Swift is. And indie artists can do that all the time. They can be posting about the first time that they bought a musical instrument, the first song that they remember playing, the first time that they were actually on stage. Tell me what the song title means to them. Tell me what the album title means. Tell me who's a hero or heroine in your life. You know, is it a music teacher? Is it a parent? And why? Do they like animals? Give the spotlight on a local animal shelter. All those things reveal who you are as a person. And it rarely has to do with buy my single, buy my album. Because you know, that stuff gets tired really, really easily. Mm -hmm. But the favorite artists in my life, the 
best artists that are ever in my life. I know more about them than probably they do. And it's because, you know, I happen to like them as people and I like them philosophically. I like them, you know, emotionally. I dig where they're coming from. Um, and indie artists need to develop that kind of mentality and skill early on so that when things actually do break, there's 300 posts ready for a new fan to dive into and love you even more. Wow, that's such great advice because there's a lot of musicians that listen to this podcast as well. So thank you for all of that. But I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about that Eric Alper show on Sirius XM channel 167 on the Canada Talks channel. It's an hour program where you speak to artists and authors. So how long have you been doing that for and how did it come about? Like, what did you do all of a sudden one day wake up and go, you know, I'm going to do this now because you're so busy. Like you know. I had, I have no interest in any of that. When I, when, I was a publicist I, and, and, and I worked in the music industry and uh, um, uh, about 10 years ago, I, I, I started, I, I was just bringing artists to different, radio stations and different TV stations. And um, one of them was Canada AM, the national program, uh, the morning show on CTV. And the producer said, you know, why don't you come on and talk about the best box sets? Because we always used to talk music and I'd never been on the radio. I had no idea about any of this. Cause like I said, I always worked behind the scenes more than being up on stage. Cause I had no musical talent at all. Um, and, and no way of doing it. So, um, so I, I called up all the record labels. I got the box set, told them what I was doing, um, did a four and a half minute segment, um, didn't swear once, which I was so surprised at. Uh, and then they kept inviting me back on. Um, uh, and then more and more, I guess, radio stations started to call me about my opinions on stuff. And the one thing that I don't do is I never go negative on anything, mm-hmm. which I think I just did go negative on something. Um, but, um, but, you know, I don't talk about court dates. I don't talk about um, controversy in the music industry. That's for others to comment on. Mm-hmm. I only want to stay positive about what things are happening, about um, really fun things, new releases, um, things that are happening that are good in the industry because I never... You know, I, I, I there's just there's just no time to be negative um, in my life. And um, with Sirius, I, I was doing these little segments on the Ward and Al show, which was the afternoon drive, um, talking about the new releases every Tuesday. And that led to coming on Tuesday and Thursday for 10 minutes. And then that led to a couple of days a week. Um, and then the the director just asked me if I would want to do my own one hour talk show. And I said, no, like why on earth would I want to do that? Um, Cause I suck and, and I'm not very good at this. And he was like, no, you're crazy. This is, this is fun. And what you make up for, for knowledge of how to talk properly on the radio, <laughs> you make up for in enthusiasm. Cause I sound like this on the radio. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I, I don't have a, I don't have a radio voice. Like, you know, WNBC, I, I can't do that. Um, so I get to, to shoot the breeze with artists for an hour. Um, uh, from all from all walks of life. This week, I I had a conversation with Bob Geldof, and tomorrow I'm going to talk to um, Pablo and Biff Naked and Roger McGuinn from The Birds, and um and I come at it in a way that's never inside baseball. It's never going into a secret club because I know that people listen. Um, not because they want to know about the economics of the music industry or how that chord was played. Um, there's, there's other amazing podcasts and shows that do that. I just want to come at it from a fan perspective of, of like, tell me how this happened or tell me how that happened. Um, because I think a lot of people tend to forget that there's, there's real life human beings behind, you know, all these songs and stories. So I love it. I, it's one of the, the, the few things that gets me out of the house these days, which is great. Awesome. You've, uh, yeah, I listened to the Sophie B. Hawkins one. That was great. Ah, thanks. Yeah, I mean, wonderful. I, I love her. And it's probably really cool for you because you worked with her like a decade ago or something and then have yeah. watching her career progress to this point probably happens to you quite a bit. You're like, hey, you know, you've yeah. come a long way, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's it's amazing, you know. So, and it's funny, like, because I, I can tell those kinds of stories where, like, next week I'm going to be talking to Jeff Martin from the Tea Party because mm. he's going back out on tour with with uh, 
with headstones and big wreck and yes. moist. And I worked one of his first, so I, I worked his first solo album all the way, way back when. So I'm going to bring up a couple of moments that worked behind the scenes, but that's, that's the kind of stuff I like because I rarely get to talk to these people. Um, like we all do, you know, mm -hmm. we, we move on and we don't see each other as much anymore. We're all getting older. So it's the time for me to kind of shoot the breeze for, for 25 minutes, a half hour with these people as well. Yeah, no kidding. Jeff is amazing. I had him on the show uh, last, yeah. I think it was last summer and just such yeah. a great guy. Yeah. So yeah. He's a lot of fun. Definitely. So kind of in closing, I know we've talked a little bit about this, but the music industry has changed so dramatically over the past, you know, decade to 15 years. And you have given a lot of advice already to artists, but is there something that they can specifically do besides maybe the video to get above the noise, to kind of get to that next level in their career to a broader audience? Yeah, I, I think I think they have to realize um, that not everything is an overnight sensation as much as they think that they that they are. Um, I, I'm not 100 percent sure that that artists that are are starting today um, truly realize how many artists are signed to a publishing deal before they even get the record label deal. Um, how many artists the major labels or other labels have their eye on and never get signed that are still creating great music so i think that they have to continue to create for themselves and let the industry fall where they may because one bad trap that artists seem to get into over and over again is that when something amazing breaks on the radio and it shifts the industry there's a whole lot of artists that geared themselves towards that. Case in point, when Nirvana started to break, you had Nirvana, Pearl Jam, mm -hmm. um, Alice in Chains, yeah. Soundgarden, all these bands. And suddenly you had all these bands around the world that thought that they can get signed if they just played grunge music. Well, what they didn't realize is that all those bands I mentioned were kind of already two years ahead of them creating this kind of music and landing themselves in a community that they didn't formulate. It just happened that way. So when people hear Billie Eilish on the radio, or that they say, my kid wants to sound like Ariana Grande, it's almost too late because by the time that they start to build a buzz on Spotify or YouTube or TikTok or Instagram and then get the attraction of a record label and get put in a room with other singer and songwriters to help create three or four amazing songs out of the 150 that are going to be crap, by that time, you're almost a year and a half, two years down the road. I'm getting press releases, and I'm sure that you are as well, about brand new artists or brand new signings from large record labels. Um, you know, Warner Music just, you know, sent out a press release about their new artist or somebody like Ren, who's 17 years old from Toronto, getting signed to Geffen and uh, through Universal. Ren has been going for like three or four years, kind of building up the songs and the name and going on SoundCloud. And it just so happened that somebody at SoundCloud Toronto loved one of the songs, put it on the front page of the discovery page, and it kind of broke from there. But she, you know, going back to the whole BG situation, it took her years to get to that point. So I think sometimes artists have a very skewed vision that there's some magic formula or that there's a magic person that's able to hit the button and make things happen because it's really not. They just have to kind of create for their own taste and their own being. And if they're true to their passion, then the industry will follow. They'll come to you. You can't chase that hit. You can't chase that special sauce that makes things happen. It really does happen by magic or it happened because somebody like me or somebody like you gets asked by a record label, hey, what's hot? What's good? What's happening? By the time that that contract is signed, even to that artist, it's still a year down the road. You know, so mm -hmm. I think that's the one thing that artists have to keep in mind is that overnight successes are rarely overnight successes. Yeah, they're at least 10 years in the making <laughs> or 10,000 hours of sweat. Or 10,000 hours, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the other thing, too, we should talk about how can people get in touch with you if they want to do a campaign with you? For sure. Um, people can get in touch with me through my manager, Sherelle. 
Um, <laughs> and you can uh, you can it's email true. her at laserbeammusic. Um, they yep. can reach me through a whole slew of ways. They can go to thatericalper.com and they can send me an email through there. Uh, they can send me a direct message on Twitter at thatericalper or Instagram at thatericalper. And um, yeah, I always love to hear from artists or parents or people within the musical community uh, just to talk shop or, um, you know, looking for advice. This has been one of my best interviews ever. Thank you so much for being on Magazine Canada, Eric. Uh, yeah, thank you. Sure. Thanks Very for talking with me. Thanks for your time. Yeah, for sure. And best of luck to you this coming year on all your adventures. Absolutely. I'm going to be We're watching gonna start hard. next week. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, it's all going to be good. <laughs> okay, have a great day. Uh, all right, you too. Thanks okay. so much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. And that's tonight's show. Thank you very much, Eric, for being on Magazine Canada. I highly suggest if you're looking for a promotional campaign for your single, album, or video, get in touch with Eric at ericalper.com. Leave the station on 24-7. It's music online all the time. You can find your favorite programs at pacificnorthwestradio.com. And if you miss a show, go to our website and click On Demand or find us on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, plus a whole array of sites. It's all there waiting for you. Big shout out to my Magazine Canada sponsor, Sheldon Zaharko from Zed Productions. All you rock stars ready to record your new album or single, check out Zed Productions at sheldonzaharko.com. The music that you're listening to right now is from my band Head, recorded with Sheldon. Tune in every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to Magazine Canada here on Pacific Northwest Radio to discover your next favorite Canadian artist. I'm Cheryl Jardine, and you can find me and my band Stone Poets and Head on social media. Our websites are stonepoets.ca and head at headmusic.ca. You can also email me at laserbeammusic at gmail.com. Get in touch. I love hearing from you. Take a few minutes out of your day and share artists, make a scene Canada and Pacific Northwest Radio on social media. Now get out and enjoy live music. Bring your friends with you and share the experience. Together, let's make a scene in 2020.